What does it mean to be saved? That's a, an interesting question. If you went out and, and we asked someone out on the street, are you saved? We might get a look of confusion back from them. But even among believers, those of us who, who, who know that we're saved, explaining what that salvation is, explaining what it means to be saved can, can be a bit of a challenge to us. Salvation certainly could be described, defined in many ways. We just sang about it. That we are saved from our sins through the completed work of Jesus Christ. We are saved to follow Jesus forever. We are saved to eternal life. So there's a being saved from aspect. There's a being saved to aspect. But what does it mean for us? The scripture uses a lot of words to try to capture what that meaning is. Here are just a few of them. Now, I do understand that we're, believe me, we're not going to spend uh, an eternity on these words. So I'm going to give you some quick definitions of these just so you get the fullness of this concept of salvation. Propitiation, not a word we use most days. Propitiation means the turning away of God's wrath by means of a sacrifice. Justification. It is a declaration by God that a person, a sinner, is righteous in his eyes on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus. It's not something we attain on our own. We are justified. We do not justify ourselves. Reconciliation, being brought back into right relationship with God. Adoption. I think that word's a little easier for us to understand. It's a word that is more familiar to us. It is for us who are Christians, admission into the family of God as children of God and co-heirs with Christ through the work of Jesus. Regeneration. It's being made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are spiritually dead receive a new life in Christ. Resurrection. Jesus' defeat of death and promise to every believer that we too have life with him forever in heaven. Sanctification. Being made new, holy, set apart, and right with God, it is a process that will be culminated with this final word here underneath it, glorification. And that is when God makes us whole, complete, and perfect forever in his presence. These are all awesome words that help us to understand the fullness of our salvation. And yet there's one other word, redeemed. This word is used frequently in the Bible. You see it as redeemed. You see it as redemption. And this morning we want to consider that word as we think about the salvation that we have received in Jesus Christ. And so that you'll at least be able to go out and say, you know what, I may not be able to define propitiation for you, but I can tell you what it means to be redeemed. 
Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we ask that you would give us spiritual discernment this morning. Ears that would be attuned to what you're saying and hearts that would be fertile to receive the good seed of your word. Lord, my prayer is that as Christ is formed in each of us this morning, that we might leave when we go out of this building, that we might leave with a greater sense of confidence of who we are in Christ, that we would be assured of victory in Jesus Christ, that we would not only know in our heads what it means to be redeemed but we would celebrate it in our hearts and lives as we live out each day, knowing that we are redeemed and rejoicing in sharing that redemption with any who would listen and maybe some who won't. God, find us a way to tell, tell others of what it means to be redeemed. In Jesus' name. Amen. All through the preparation for this message, one of the old hymns kept going back and forth through my mind. And it's a beautiful little song. It goes like this. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His excellent mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, His child and forever I am. Well, what a beautiful thing to carry in your heart. To know that I am redeemed, not because of what I have done, not because of what I have accomplished, but because of what Jesus has done for me so that I can say, His child forever I am. God is in the search and rescue business, and I am so grateful for that. God sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. I am eternally grateful that that is the kind of God that we have. But before we get to that point, we have to ask ourselves, what is our condition so that we needed to be rescued? I was a lifeguard. That may be shocking and surprising to some of you and comforting to others who are planning on being baptized. One of the things I learned as a lifeguard is you only save the people that are drowning. You don't jump in just because the girl's cute. It's tempting. 
But you only jump in for the people who are drowning and the people who are desperate. And, and here's the deal. Someone just swimming out there and having a good time, they don't see any need of a lifeguard to save them. But it's that person who's desperate, who's going down, who's struggling to breathe, who's struggling to survive, who will call out, help. And it is only when we come to understand that we are sinners and that we cannot get there on our own, we cannot make it on our own, we cannot save ourselves, it is then that we turn our eyes heavenward and and yell help. It is then we begin to seek a Savior and discover that He's already been seeking us. He's already been looking for us. There are many images in the Bible about our condition before Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to give you two of them this morning because I think these are two that that help. The first is we're lost. We're lost. I don't know about you, but I've never been lost. You ever been driving around, never been lost? Here Here I can prove to you that I've never been lost out driving around. I'm actually here. I have, as I tell my wife, when we are not where we're supposed to be, I have been temporarily dislocated. Not lost, just temporarily dislocated. In other words, eventually I'm going to get back to where I needed to be, so I'm not really lost. That's not what we're talking about here. When we're talking about being lost, we're not talking about being temporarily dislocated. We're talking about being hopelessly lost. We cannot find our way back. We cannot find ourselves. And yet God's word tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We're lost. But Jesus can find us. We're never too lost for Jesus. And the second image I want to put in your mind is this one. We are dead. Dead. Now, this is something that, quite honestly, I don't think very many Christians actually come to terms with. But Jesus did not come to make bad people good people. Jesus came to make dead people alive. We are spiritually dead. When we... Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Most of us think all we needed was a little house cleaning, a little bit of paint, a little bit of body work, maybe some fresh curtains. That's not what scripture says. We were dead Dead, dead. And guess what? There's never been a dead person who could make themselves alive other than Jesus. When you're dead, you're pretty well helpless. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And so we were dead in our trespasses in our sins but we were made alive that is God's work and God's work alone all right those two images 
in your mind of our condition before Christ. We were lost. We were dead. Now, there's certainly other images that being spiritually blind is another image. There are tons of images we could pull out of Scripture to define our situation. But just keep those two in mind. So what does the term redeemed mean? When we think about ourselves as being lost and dead, what does the term redeemed mean? If we're going to look it up, just dictionary, redemption is the purchase of something that was lost or forfeited. The purchase of something that was lost or forfeited. Let me give you the example from, from the Old Testament because we see redemption is, is mentioned in the Old Testament in this sense. The people owned land. And sometimes they would get themselves into a difficult situation financially and they had to sell off part of their land or borrow money that they couldn't pay back and therefore forfeited their land. The laws in the Old Testament say that someone from the family can come and redeem the land. In other words, come and pay for it on that person's behalf and that person was called the Redeemer. We also see in the Old Testament that people also, because typically of debt, could sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt. And yet God said there can be a redeemer. There can be someone who would step into that person's life and pay that debt for them so that they might be set free. That's the Old Testament imagery imagery of redeemer. In the New Testament, that word has now uh, been Futurized. People looked for the Messiah to be the ultimate Redeemer. The one who would be sent by God to pay the price for God's people. That's the image that we have and want to hold on to. But it's important for us to remember that redemption always requires the payment of a price. And when it comes to our redemption, that price was the blood of Jesus himself. Redemption requires the payment of a price by the Redeemer. And in our case, it was Jesus paying with his life's blood. So let's think about this concept of redemption. What does it mean to be redeemed? We've already said that the price of our redemption is the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. That's the price of our redemption. The grace of God, our salvation, is free. I can't can't tell you how many people that I have shared that truth with and, and they just cannot get that. That they don't have to buy or earn or deserve their salvation. It is a gift to be received. But just because it is a free gift does not mean it was cheap. It cost God, His Son. Grace and salvation are free to us, but they were not cheap to the Heavenly Father. For Jesus came and He died for our sins so that we might receive His righteousness. Now, He didn't deserve to die. We deserved that. It was an incredible price to pay. So we need to understand 
the cost of our redemption. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we talked about this last week and we talked about the cost of sin and we talked about the shedding of blood. This is, this is the Redeemer, what the Redeemer does and how the Redeemer pays for our sin. A couple of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. In Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom to pay for us. The second thing we need to note about redemption this morning is that we are redeemed from both an empty way of life and from the curse of the law. Where do we get that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty life, empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. You were redeemed from your empty way of life. I don't know that a lot of people think who are outside of Christ think about their lives as being empty and meaningless. I didn't until I got alone with God. And I began through the Spirit's conviction in my heart to understand that no matter what I experienced, no matter what I did, and no matter what I accomplished in this life, that it really wasn't going to amount to anything apart from Christ. Life is ultimately meaningless apart from Christ. Now, who would say that? A theologian, but also a scientist. One of the things I... I, I read a lot of different stuff uh, from a lot of different areas. Uh, I like to kind of challenge my thinking. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that I, I like to do is to look at people who, or, or to listen to people who actually disagree with the way I think, because I think that's healthy to, to get that perspective. And so I was, I was doing some of that, and, and I came to realize that through the writings of guys like Carl Sagan, I don't know if you know Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan is certainly not a believer. He believes that all this is some huge cosmic accident that occurred. But if you would listen to him talk about how the cosmos was formed, basically what you discover is that he would, he would agree with Genesis in, in, at one point, and, and that is at one time there was nothing, and then there was something. Okay? Um, scientists who would call that the Big Bang... Uh, we would call it creation, but regardless of what you call it, there was nothing, and then all of a sudden, there was something. Now, they won't, they're, they're still trying to figure out what caused nothing to be something, so we're a little ahead of them on that one. But that, that's what it, that, okay, all of a sudden, there was nothing, an infinitesimal point that for some unknown reason became unstable and went boom, and everything began to spread out from there. And what would happen is these stars would, this gas would form and gravity would pull it together and these stars would, would ignite and then, uh, and then they'd get old and they'd collapse and they'd explode. And, and, and this is what Carl Sagan says is that we're 
we're made of the stuff of stars. And he, and he goes, and that just blows his mind. That, you know, all the, but it's a cosmic accident. You are here today out of sheer luck. That's it. If anything had gone a little bit different during this course of time, you wouldn't be here. If something had happened to that little so, so-called speck there in the, in the mud and the muck, and something had happened and it had not ignited and become alive, then neither plants nor animals would be here today. This would just be a barren rock. But that's okay because the universe is going to take care of that. If you follow this out logically, then what we discern is there are one or two ends to the universe apart from what God says. One is it'll keep on expanding, 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 and eventually, through billions and billions of years, it'll grow cold and dark and lifeless. The other is that it'll expand to a certain point, and then gravity will take over, and it'll suck everything basically back in. It'll take a while, but it'll suck it back all in until we once again become an infinitesimal point. Okay. In other words, whatever you do on this life, It's completely meaningless. It really isn't going to matter. It's just all going to be wiped out anyway. Life is meaningless apart from Christ. But with Christ, with Christ, life has incredible meaning. How do I know? Well, because I had an encounter with God. I met him. Now, certainly I believe in the truth of his word. I believe I can look at creation and see his handiwork. But it became personal to me when God encountered me in an apartment building in Carborough, North Carolina. And I became keenly aware of my sin. And I became keenly aware of God's purpose for my life. And all those lessons, for those of you who teach our children, thank you Thank you, thank you, because all those lessons that my Sunday school teachers and my vacation Bible school teachers had poured into me over all those years, all that was just kind of bottled up. It was kind of dammed up, and at some point, God poked the dam, and it just burst, and all this truth came washing over me, and I came to the realization of, it's true. It's true. And that's why I can sing redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, his child, and forever I am. My life has meaning. My life has purpose. And this life that I live now and the things that I do in Christ, for Christ, through Christ, those things will live forever. Otherwise, listen, Jesus says, it's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn. Yesterday, uh, I, I had a, um, well, I know we got DNR people in here, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yesterday, I had this, this huge pile of limbs. You know, after all these storms and stuff, it's a huge pile of limbs. And this thing was probably almost head high for me. And I stacked them all up in my little rock ring out in the back, and all the leaves moved away from them. And, uh, and then I put a little, um, I, well, I didn't use gas because that kind of goes up, poof. Uh, instead, I used lighter fluid just to get it started. And boy, it burned down. And I got my chair and I got a cup of coffee. And I sat there and just watched the pile burn down. 
to basically nothing. That was a lot of fun. That's a good way to spend a Saturday, just watching it all boil down to nothing. And no, I did not have a permit. But it was fun. But, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about today's message and how meaningless life is apart from Christ. And I look at that pile that was once so huge and and it was burned up to nothing. And for many lives, that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be all wood, hay, and stubble. There's not going to be a thing left in that life. It is really going to be meaningless. And it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how many awards you've been given. It doesn't matter what titles that you have received. It doesn't matter what kind of house you lived in or what kind of car you drive. In the end, it's not going to matter. My roommate had it right. We used to tease each other about this. Anytime we got anything brand new and we'd come home and we'd be bragging about it, uh, we'd just turn to the other one and say this these few simple words. It's going to burn. That, boy, that'll take the polish off an apple right quick. It's going to burn. Eventually, it's not going to matter. And that's exactly what we're hearing here. Apart from Christ, it's not going to matter. This empty way of life that you once pursued, valuing things that have no eternal value. And so we are redeemed from that empty way of life. We're we're bought and brought out of that empty way of life. But we also see that we are redeemed from the curse. Christ has redeemed us in Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written everyone who's hung on a tree is cursed. The reason that the Jews demanded that Jesus be crucified rather than face some other form of execution, stoning or whatever it might be, was because of the Old Testament portion of Scripture that says the one who hangs on a tree is cursed. And it's true. Even though Jesus did nothing to deserve the death he died, the humiliation he faced, he became the curse for us. He took the curse that belonged to us and instead gives us his righteousness. He became the curse. Now, again, we talked a little bit about this last week, the cost of sin and what it cost Jesus on the cross, not just physically, but spiritually with that connection that he had with his father being broken. And when we look at this, we've got to understand what we were bought from. We were lost. We were dead. We were hopeless. But in Christ, we're redeemed. And how does all that work? I mean, okay, God is holy and just, okay? And, and God is also loving and forgiving. So how can these two things that seem to be contradictory be true? Have you ever wrestled with this? If God is, is holy and just 
and must punish sin, and you and I are saturated with it, how's he going to get us into his presence? Because that's what he wants. If we, if, if he has to punish sin, how can we escape? Well, the answer is found in the cross. Where the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out for our sin, there's the answer. The wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. Jesus became the curse for us. Paid the price for us. God's, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. You ever wonder in the garden as Jesus is praying, the garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, And he said, Father, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me, what's he talking about? The cup of God's wrath went to him. He drank it so we wouldn't have to. Ephesians chapter 1, we have redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. We do not have a stingy God. He has poured out the riches of his grace lavishly. He just keeps pouring and keeps pouring and keeps pouring. And God, unlike the government, God can do that and never run out. He can keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring and keep pouring his grace out on us. Grace, absolutely limitless, unmeasurable to cover all of our sins. It doesn't matter how bad you were. It doesn't matter what you thought or what you've done or where you've been. God's grace is more than enough. He pours it out lavishly and richly on us. With that in mind, how do we respond? When we know of such a sacrifice, how do we respond? The first chapter of John's gospel gives us the answer. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not from blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. To those who believe, he calls his children. In other words, God offers this free gift of salvation to us, free to us, costly to him. God offers this free gift of salvation. Now, whenever someone gives you a gift out of love, what, what, what do we do? We receive it. We're grateful for it. We receive it. It becomes ours. And I don't know what you were thinking before you came in here right now, but I've got to tell you, there's a God who's extending this free gift to you. He has it. He reaches out his hand with this free gift of salvation. And what you need to do biblically is to receive that. How do you do that? You do it the same way I did it and the same way that so many other people in here have done it. You say, God, I am a sinner. 
I, I cannot save myself. I am hopeless and helpless apart from Christ. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He paid the price for my sins. He became the curse for me so that I could become your righteousness. And your word says, God, that if I believe, if I trust in, if I cling to Jesus, that you will make, you will adopt me into your family. You will redeem me by your blood and you will call me your son and call me your daughter. And so some of you may need this morning to turn from sin and turn to God, to turn from self and turn to grace. The gift is available for you. What if you already have been redeemed and you know it? How should you respond to what you've heard today? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Our lives should reflect our redemption. Just because we have been saved by grace does not mean that we ought to go out and live as if what he did doesn't matter. You have been bought at a price, a high price. Therefore, therefore means what do I do now? Honor God with your body. Our lives should show that we belong to Jesus. Our lives should show that Jesus is Lord, not us. Glorify God. Not just in your worship on Sundays. But glorify God in your life. As you get up and go to work, go to school tomorrow. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And by your body, it means anything that is physical. Glorify God with your thoughts. Glorify God with your actions. Glorify God with your words. Why? Because you're His. And your life matters, it has meaning. And your witness matters. Let your life declare, I am redeemed.